Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. I'm inviting people to the Retreat House table to share their story, and I'm so glad you're here to join us. Welcome to the table. So this is one of those conversations that I talked about in the very first episode of the season. I talked about wanting to cover topics that are sometimes hard to talk about and can sometimes feel polarizing. Today's conversation is going to be one of those conversations that feels kind of hard. Um, maybe might be hard to hear, but I want you to stick with us and um, stay at the table with us. My guest today is Tori Peterson, and I met Tori online through a friend who knew that I wanted to do topics like this. And so she introduced me, introduced us and said, I really think that this might be something like what you're looking for for your podcast. So Tori and I started emailing back and forth and have finally been able to um, find a time to sit down at the table together. So I am so glad and happy to welcome Tori to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Angela. And I have to mention, I love that we're actually both Minnesota girls. Like, we're really sitting at the table. (laughs) (laughs) I love Minnesota. Are you actually from Minnesota? I am. Yeah, I'm okay. like the fifth generation of my family, so like deep, deep, deep roots. Yeah, you're deep Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You don't have like that um, Canadianish accent that I hear that you're supposed to have. Oh, that's really sweet. I hear it sometimes, especially when I first started podcasting. I would not, I wouldn't say so. I would say so, and I thought, oh my goodness, I sound so Minnesotan. As I started podcasting, I feel that way too. I'm like, is that my voice? Right, exactly. It's hard. It's hard to listen to yourself. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your life looks like now, a little bit about you now, and then we'll go back and hear more of your story. So I say that I am a dabbler. I'm mostly a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. I have an almost 11-month-old son. He's awesome. His name is Leander. I've so enjoyed being a mom, but I also love working. I have, like, I always wanted a career. So Mm -hmm. I am writing a memoir, and I hope that that's going to be published in the next two or three years as I work with my literary agent and the publishers. I am a yoga instructor. I ran track for 10 years, so giving up fitness um, was kind of hard. So mm-hmm. I I dived into fitness instruction, mostly yoga. I am a doula in my small town. So mm-hmm. I am going to help a woman birth this month. Oh. I mean, there's so many small little things mm-hmm. um, that I just love. I love my community. I'm very involved in the community. So that just makes me a dabbler of all kinds of things. Right, I hear that. Your mom and your wife too, right? Aren't you? Yes, I guess I just thought that was, you know, I forget that that's like not every mom is wife. Yes, I'm a wife too. <laughs> I'm a wife above above all the things. <laughs> but I hear you, but I like to call them side hustles. Lots of side yeah. hustles. Yeah. Lots of things going on on the side. Yeah, when I started working full time, there were some of those side hustles I had to say no to when I was like, oh, this is, it's so hard to give up the fun things like that. 
Yes, it is. So I, and yeah, and I've st- like, people have asked me to be on their podcast and I'm saying yes to that because I love it. Mm-hmm. And someone just asked me to write a blog and I said yes, because I love it. And then I got asked to work at our local coffee shop the other day. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can say yes to that. I just have so much on my plate and it's so mm-hmm. hard to say no. It's hard, especially when it's a good thing. When you have to say no yeah. to a good thing, that's the hardest. I really do want to do it all, but I'm like, I got to be here with my husband and my baby and mm-hmm. And margin. Ministry. Yeah, and having margin is a is a good thing sometimes. And yes. Yeah. yeah. So where would you like to start in telling your story? Where do you think would be a good place to start? Well, part of the reason that we started talking was because you had grown up in foster care. Yes. Um, I first went into the foster care system when I was four years old. After my mom and her boyfriend were busted with selling drugs. Okay. And then I was reunified with my mom. And I lived with her until I was 12 years old. And then I went back into the foster care system until I emancipated when I was 18 years old. And I lived in 12 or 13 homes. You just kind of lose count. I always say 12. But the other day I was counting again, and I was like, I think it might have been more. I don't know. <laughs> There's just so many. So what, what, <laughs> I don't even know what to ask. So Right? And that's, and that's, I think, the real, I think that is the situation when it comes to talking about foster care and adoption. It's not a topic that people don't like. People, everyone loves foster care and adoption. It's, it's a bipartisan issue. You know, it's not on the, not one side of politics has grabbed onto it. Not one denomination has said this is ours. You know, it's everyone's. Mm -hmm. But people don't know how do I approach this with an individual. Well, I think because there's so much pain associated. Even if the, even if there's a, even if you have a good foster experience, even if you end up being adopted by a wonderful family there's still brokenness and pain that got you to the play, that place. Angela, I think that is so good to recognize because oftentimes when you see a child go into foster care, when you see a child get adopted, you hear people say, oh my gosh, that child is so lucky. That child is so blessed. And absolutely they are, right? Because they are taken into this home and they're no longer in the home of a home that may have been abusive or neglective. They're not homeless, but it's also devastating. Mm -hmm. And that child is in a lot of pain. And when a child hears, you are so blessed, you are so lucky, when they are in devastation of losing their biological parents, their biological family, moving homes probably more than once, and then meeting a new family, they're like, they're so confused. They're like, what do you mean I'm blessed? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's okay to acknowledge the blessing of it. But I think we also need for the child to acknowledge and empathize with that hurt. And so I think your point in, in saying that is absolutely right. I have a friend that has adopted four kids. And that's where she was the one that taught me that, that she has very open conversations with her adoptive children that that she's plan B. And she said it's hard to say that because they've worked really, really hard to 
create a relationship with him and they've had him since he's young. And and she's like, but this is it's still like this is plan B. This is not plan A for him. And I thought that when she said that, I was like, yes, like that's the thing that you don't hear people say Mm -hmm. that just is so like you just know in your marrow that that is true. Yeah, and I would say, like, when it comes to psychological, cognitive development, we see that that is damaged and hindered in youth who go into the foster care system, youth who are adopted. And so I think we can see, like, yes, this is, those are the effects of of not being with a biological family, of experiencing that trauma. Family is the foundation. We're meant to be with our family. But I do believe that when when a person is in foster care or when they are adopted, that it is God's plan A for their life. I do believe that God does bring glory to himself in making it the plan for each adopted youth's life, foster youth's life. Um, and oftentimes because it's so devastating – and because there's so much psychological trauma revolved around it, we might not explicitly see that glory. So what was that like for you? I mean, if you were in 12 to 14 homes in a matter of six years, you were on average in a different, you were changing houses twice a year on average. Uh, yeah, I think my average stay, my longest stay was 10 months. I think my average stay was like six months. Okay. Yeah, there were some homes that I stayed in for like two weeks, which would really be, it wouldn't even be considered a foster home, it'd be considered like respite. Okay. So I think going off of what I said in regards to cognitive, psychological, social hindrances that adopted and foster youth face because they're not with their biological family, for me, foster care was very isolating. I was never put in permanent custody of the state because my mom wouldn't relinquish her parental rights. So I was considered a liability of the state because if anything happened to me, my mom could sue my caseworkers, the county agency. And so for me, I felt like I had a lot of, I want to say like social lapses because I didn't get to go to the bonfires. I couldn't have friends over. I couldn't go to my friend's house unless their parents had a background check. They handed in their driver's license and their insurance, which is just invasive and weird. People don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I totally understood that. But it caused me to be very socially isolated, which then caused psychological hurt because on top of the psychological hurt that I already had from the trauma that my mom caused Mm -hmm. um, with her verbal abuse, physical abuse. And I grew, I grew depressed because I couldn't go out with friends. I stayed home all the time and I was living with my last foster home. The time where I felt the most isolation was I was living with just one woman, just one foster mom, and she was in nursing school. And so she just had a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. She was a great mother, but she had, she did what she needed to do in terms of her work. And she did a lot for me. And she was such a reflection of Christ. But there were times when it was so isolating when you're, you're not really with your parent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only 
I was the only kid in the home, and then I didn't really get to go out either. The flip side of how I do think that foster care was God's plan A for my life, even though I lived in 12 to 14 different homes, I could see how each home prepared me for the next. I could see how each home opened, slowly opened the door to show me who Christ is, who I am in Christ, my identity in him, eventually gave me confidence in who I was that totally really squashed all of the social lapses that I had. Mm. So I can see how even though it is this like plan B, it is this difficult thing that I suffered through. I can also see, you know, we all are meant to reflect Christ that through my suffering, I hope that I brought glory to him when I said that, you know, when I can say that all is well despite the suffering Mm -hmm. because of what, because of how Christ suffered. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think is a great perspective, and I think that's one that's often gained after any kind of suffering that somebody goes through. I, I think some people get the gift of have a gift of faith while they're going through suffering and through a trial, but when you're in the midst of it, sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to see the end. Like a verse that's been sticking out to me a lot. In Hebrews 12, where it talks about that because of the glory set before him, Christ endured the cross. And I think I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I'm not currently in a time of suffering. But thinking about the time of suf- times of suffering that I've had and how that kind of uh, rocked my relationship with God and trying to get a right view of who God is and thinking about Jesus's perspective, which I think is what I hear you saying, sort of, I'm talking about the hope that set before us. You're talking about Christ's suffering and all the things that came from his suffering. But I think, which I think no, is important. I, think, I actually think that you're right in terms of hope. So my given name mm-hmm. is hope. Middle name is hope. And I really do feel like God has given me the gift of hope to be able to see what good could come out of this situation. Like that's what hope is seeing the good that could come out of it in the future, even if you don't feel it Mm -hmm. or understand it in the present. So I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Hope. Yeah. So then what did that look like for you? You know, as you were going from house to house, what did it, what did it look like to hang on to hope? So I should mention that I was not, Saved. I did not come to know Christ and who he was, all that he did for me, dying on the cross for my sins, until I was in my second to last foster home. So I think moving from home to home, I always had this intrinsic feeling that all everything was happening for a reason, and so I think that I I had this earthly hope. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what it was or why I had it. And then when I came to know Christ by going to church, seeing him reflected through my community, individuals, and just seeing him present himself to me, then I understood why I was so hopeful. Okay. Because 
because he always had a plan. I think that it reminds me, you know, this is like very Isa Jesus, but Jeremiah twenty nine eleven of how God has a future and a hope for us. Right. And, and actually my favorite is the next verse that talks about when, when we pray that he listens and that he's with us. And I think because I didn't come to make a decision to follow Christ until I was 19 and I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God personally. But again, after the fact, looking back, I could see him all over the place. I mean, chasing me all over the place. And I was running from him for a very long time. But yeah, which is, is that, that's kind of what I hear you saying. Like you, when you look back now, you can see how he was working, but maybe at the time. Exactly. I would say when I came to Christ, it was a very slow progression of realizing and seeing all of the little and big things all of the little and big miracles, really, that mm-hmm. he had set before me, that he had done for me throughout my entire life. So I was looking through Instagram a little bit before we were talking tonight, and um, there were pictures from the day that you got married, and it looked like one of your foster moms was helping you on your wedding day. Yes. So she was never a foster mother. She was my youth leader in junior high. And I often, it's interesting because people ask me about the foster parents that had a, that had impacts on me. And there were foster parents that had great impacts on me, but the people that I mainly talk about were the people who weren't foster parents. And I see a lot of, you know, a lot of ads like become a foster parent. Mm -hmm. This is, and you know, a lot of people come to the church and they talk about how we should be foster parents and how we should adopt. And I absolutely am an advocate for foster care and adoption. But there are some people who are like, I'm not called to that. Like, I'm not doing that. And because I know that I'm not supposed to, like in Jesus name, I'm not supposed to do that. And I just want to encourage them that the foster care ministry and the adoption ministry is so much broader than just Mm -hmm. being a foster parent or an adoptive parent Mm -hmm. because the people who impacted my life the most were, were not foster parents or adoptive parents. They were people in the community who sat with me and who were there for me, who just made me meals, who did this really simple things in service. Mm -hmm. Well, who saw you? So back to your feeling isolated and feeling alone and probably feeling unseen that these people saw you and took time to to just be with you and see you and listen. Was that? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yes. So the first one was, the first one, you know, when you say, like, they saw me, mm-hmm. was my track coach in high school. Foster care statistics are really saddening. So once you emancipate out of the foster care system – Less than 3% of those youth who age out will attain a bachelor's degree or higher. 50%, only 50%, will attain a stable job. Mm -hmm. And I think 20% instantly experience homelessness. Mm. So when I aged out of the foster care system and when I was in the foster care system, 
oftentimes these statistics were spoken over me. People often said, you know, she's not, she's not going to be successful. She's not capable. And my track coach in high school said that I was capable and that I was worthy of all these great things. He was like, I think you can win state and in mm-hmm. track and all these events. And I think you can go to college on a scholarship. And I worked really hard and I had never even been to state individually, and I did. And it was because I won state. I became a five-time state champion. I I obtained a full ride to college, and it was because someone believed in me. It's because God put someone in my life to speak truth and love Mm -hmm. into my life. And then the second person, the woman who was helping me put on my dress, Mm -hmm. that was my youth leader from junior high, and she – she is just the epitome of gentleness and kindness. She, I, from a very young age, I always knew that I wanted to be a mother and a wife. And I knew that I didn't want to reflect. You didn't want to continue the I, cycle? I didn't want to continue the cycle. I didn't want to. My mom is was very mean. She mm-hmm. said such mean. Her words were so harsh. And it was always so crucial to me growing up that I would not be harsh with my words, that and that, that I could break that cycle. And I'm not perfect in any way, but it is something that I am always working on. And this woman was such a great example in her marriage and in her family and in her ministry. And it impacted me a lot. She was an amazing example. And she was so high in mercy she worked she worked and still works with many unprivileged young women mm-hmm. young so teenagers and many of them i would say take advantage of her mercy and she shows up in love for them mm-hmm. all the time and she did that for me i remember there was i made a post on my instagram about this so I went into foster care probably like a week before Christmas and I was living at a foster home, but Tanya advocated that I spent Christmas with her family. Tanya is the woman mm-hmm. who was helping me put on my dress. She advocated that I would spend Christmas with her family because it oftentimes when you come into a foster family around Christmas, they don't know if they can get you Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. She wanted to make sure that I had Christmas presents. And I have no idea how she got me them. Probably the church. All I, I spent Christmas with her. All these Christmas presents were under the tree. And I, I get I get to spend Christmas morning opening Christmas presents with her family and her kids. I probably had the most Christmas presents. I probably had more Christmas <laughs> presents than everyone combined. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. The next day, she was like, did you like your Christmas presents? And I was like, yeah, I love my Christmas presents. But there were some. I didn't like the color of them. Can we go return them? And she was like, yeah, of course. And I look back on that. I just didn't know that that was so rude. No one had taught me that. Like, I look back on that and I was like, how rude of me. How ungrateful. Oh, my goodness. But what, you were like 12 or 13, right? I was 12, yeah. yeah. Which is pretty standard for that age, though, I think. Oh, my goodness. And she was... But she should have, sometimes yeah. I'm like, Tanya, you should have told me I was ungrateful. And she, <laughs> she was like, 
And she said, she's like, that's not what you needed in that moment. Mm. She's like, your mom had spoke so, so much hurt, so many things over you that were so hurtful, that were so damaging to your identity. That's not what, I didn't need to say that to you. Well, and I need why... to just take you and exchange your presence. And I was like, that's right. crazy. And that ever... is such love. It is. But, you know, everybody else gets to exchange their, their Christmas presents. Why wouldn't you be able to exchange your Christmas presents? You're right. I guess you're right. <laughs> so, you know, I have a friend um, that spent some time in foster care and she said when she had, well, she was supposed to, she had been told that she was having a boy. And then when she gave birth, it was a girl. And she said all of the, because she went into foster care as a, as an infant, I think. And she said all of that unpacked stuff that was way deep down came falling on her when she held this baby and thought about the decision that must have happened for her to end up in foster care. And I know that your son is only almost 11 months. And so if this is too fresh, then we do not have to go there. But what was we that? Can go there. So, Let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like for you to give birth? Did that stir things up for you? I starting at probably 12 years old when I went into foster care, Mm -hmm. I had went through a lot of counseling. Um, Glory be to God for all of the foster parents that continued to drive me to counseling Mm -hmm. because so many times I showed up there and I was like, I don't need to be here. This is where this is where crazy people end up, and it is exactly where I needed to be. It is like one of the only places I needed to be. Through counseling, I think that through the grace of God, I really did, and it was it was years, years and years and years, and I'm still in counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, I am such an advocate of counseling. I'm not in a crisis, but I think counseling is always good, mm-hmm. and whether it's spiritual counseling, psychological counseling. I would advise if you go to psychological counseling to maybe if you're a Christian, I would advise having a Christian counselor, but I think it's so helpful. And so when Leander was born, I would say initially there was so much joy. Like I had a natural birth, which made me feel really powerful and strong and I, I remember Jacob was standing, my husband Jacob was standing behind me, holding me up as I was standing up. And then the midwives just threw, it felt like they threw this baby on top of me. Mm-hmm. And I was holding this baby and Jacob was holding me. And I was like, God is holding our family. Mm. And this is everything that I've ever wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was the most joyful moment of of my life probably after that things started to spiral Mm -hmm. postpartum people should not I think we should call it postpartum emotions instead of postpartum depression because I was like sad depressed happy hysterical Mm -hmm. (laughs) like all of of the feelings um then happy again Mm -hmm. it was wild it was a wild ride so there were I would say that I was, I was triggered by everything postpartum. Mm. Everything took me back to probably the first 
three months, everything took me back to my mom. Mm. And it wasn't so much the thought of, I did not go into foster care as an infant. You know, my Mm -hmm. mom, my, my biological dad passed before I was born. Okay. He passed a month before I was born. So there's no really hurt of like my dad abandoned me. You know what I mean? He didn't control it. And then my mom, she, I, I truly believe that my mom loves me and that my mom wants me and she would have me if she was mentally able, Mm -hmm. but her mental illness doesn't, my mom is diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia. So I truly believe her mental illness is just makes her incapable of being a stable parent. But so I don't think there's the idea of my parents relinquishing me and then Leander, like him coming and the idea of relinquishing him, like, you know, how hurtful that can be. I understand. I totally understand that. But I would say that I was more triggered when I would get impatient. Mm. It would scare. I would get so scared. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, am I going to am I going to say words like my mom did? Mm -hmm. Like just having any kind of negative emotion would spiral me into actually being like my mom because I was so anxious about being like my mom. It was just, I would say, I think they're called hair triggers where you're just like triggered by every little thing. Mm -hmm. So postpartum was a really hard three months. I had already, I feel like I had already dug deep into all of these things and then I had to go it's not that I hadn't done the work but it's because of the hormones and the the chemicals were just so heightened and mm-hmm. imbalanced which is, and a, which is a, a real that, thing like which is a real thing it's a physiological like mm-hmm. my responses were physiological responses I couldn't control and of course I do believe that the Holy Spirit can come at any time and heal that but I also think that these physiological responses are, are things that God gives us. Like sometimes we are like, like Job, like Job was given adversity to be tested and to eventually become closer to Christ. So I think sometimes these physiological responses that we really can't control that people say, oh, you just need to proclaim Jesus name. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, like, that that doesn't mean that it's going to go away. Right. Uh, That was a huge lesson. I would say that was another huge lesson during postpartum. I'm, like, I'm praying. I'm doing the things. I feel Mm -hmm. like my heart is in, like, because it's not about the things you do. It's really about, like, the position of your heart. And I felt like my heart was so crying out to Jesus. And my heart, I was so intimately close to him. I had just experienced one of the most joyful times of my life. But then I was living in, like, this devastation of pain. Mm-hmm. Well, and be, especially when it feels like God is silent in the suffering. And I would say from what I've learned that even when it feels like he's silent, he's still there. That, mm-hmm. that like you said, he doesn't immediately take the hurt or the hard away, but he will walk right next to us through the hurt and the hard thing and be with us to get through it. Well, you get to have hard days and you get to not be perfect all the time. I, 
being a mom is hard and we went through part of our story is infertility. And so then when I did have babies, I felt like I don't get to have bad days because I should just be grateful for the good, which is such a lie. Like I have bad days. Well, ask my kids. (laughs) I have bad. Ask my husband. I have bad days. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I think motherhood has been one of the things that has taught me the most that I need to have grace for myself. Yes. So grace to you and your mothering. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So is there anything more about your, I mean, I know there's a whole lot more to your story, but is there there anything more about your story that you want to make sure that we talk about? You know, I feel like this kind of ties in with what we were just talking about. Recently, I have found myself so we, the community that Jacob and I live in is a small town. It is so beautiful. I love this town so much. And there are so many homeschool families, mm-hmm. moms who homeschool their children. And I had never really experienced or met families who had homeschooled. There's like a bunch of families who had homeschooled their children, like this community. And the, the relationships that they cultivate are so rich because they're together all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'd recently found myself growing so jealous Mm. of these adult children being so close to their parents after they had been homeschooled. And my heart was just broken. I would think of like, why can why can I have this relationship with my mom? And again, like, I had worked through all these things, and then my heart is just broken. And my husband was homeschooled, and he is so close to his family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I find myself so envious at the closeness they have. And I would just find myself crying. And I was talking to someone from our church about these feelings, and she said do you feel like you've mourned your family? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And do I feel like you have I mourned? What Mm -hmm. does that mean? (laughs) She was like, have you like grieved? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, like, I was like, no, like God has given me this life and it's good. And like, he has brought glory to himself and he, you know, I, I get to know him and I get to love him. And there's so much richness in our relationship. No, I, I don't, I'm not grieving that and she was like Tori I think like even though that all that is true even though God is good and even though God has redeemed your life you can still grieve like Mm -hmm. he and she took me to the Psalms and she was like look at David Mm -hmm. complained a lot he grieved a lot (laughs) and I was like yeah you're right Mm -hmm. and I took this time to mourn not having a family. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we think that we have to only talk about the good. Mm -hmm. And I think that it just goes back to the whole topic of the series that you're doing, that we only have to talk about the good things to bring glory to God. But it was in my mourning and in my grieving that I experienced a new intimacy with Christ that I had never experienced before. Mm -hmm. And 
this is so fresh. This is so fresh to me. And that's why I feel it's necessary to share. And I don't think that I have come to like this grand conclusion about it all other than that God, the Abba Father, you know, like our daddy Mm -hmm. loves us in our suffering, in our mourning, in our calling out to him as we, as we cry as much as he loves us when we are talking about the redemptive, beautiful, good, joyful parts of our lives. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that you're taking time to grieve because that is a grievable, that is worthy of grief, the loss that you've had. I did a series on grief in my first season. Ten years ago, I lost my mom to uterine cancer. And in the span of four years, I had 12 losses. And some of them were miscarriages between the two boys that we have. And it it was during that time of deep grief that exactly what you said, I have have intimacy with Christ that I would not have had I not walked through that. Also, out of that came the struggle of how can, you know, is, do I really believe that God is good? And there was a time where I really thought I didn't think that he was good, but to come to, I have since come to a place where I can hold the tension of God is good. And my mom died of cancer. God could have healed her. He's still good. And she died like the, you know, so for you, God is good, and you have the story that you have. Both are true, but to hold the tension of those two things is a hard, it's a hard thing to hold. And it took me a few years to get to the point where I could hold the tension of it. And I'm not always balanced, let's just be honest. <laughs> but yeah, that's, a, that's an, what's such wise advice of your friend too to advise you to do that and for you to let yourself, I mean, so there's another place for grace to give yourself the grace to grieve, to grieve that. What is, do you have a relationship with your biological mom? Yes, we do have a relationship. It is very, I would say up and down Mm -hmm. because she is bipolar and schizophrenic and she has out, she has outbursts and they often are, verbal Mm. it's verbal manipulation verbal abuse it's very hurtful and I love my mom I want to pursue a relationship with her always I so more than anything I want her to know who Jesus is and I know that's like not all on me that's not my responsibility but I do and I'm grateful for my mom my mom chose to to give birth to me mm-hmm. when that was not in her you know she's she wasn't, wasn't Christian she wasn't pro-life my mom I was conceived out of rape my mom did not she had no you know moral obligation to give birth to me and she did mm. and I I'm just grateful for her and I really do love her I want to communicate that love to her I think she she is who she is because she has experienced a lot of pain and hurt Mm -hmm. and loneliness. And I know that I can't be, I can't fill all of that, but I want to try and fill what I can. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine like 
you know, my son, I have a, I have this 10 month old. And if I was ever in this situation with him, I could just, I can never imagine him never talking to me. Mm-hmm. So yes, I do have a relationship with my mom. I try to love her the best that I can with the boundaries of oftentimes we take it, we take breaks in our communication after she has an explosion mm-hmm. or if she's in the middle of, if we're on the phone and she's in the middle of any insults, I'll say, okay, mom, I love you. I'm so glad that I got to hear your voice and talk to you today, but I'm going to get off the phone now because the things that you are speaking over me are lies and the things that you're are pouring into our relationship are not healthy. I love you. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we'll probably go maybe two weeks without talking. And then she'll reach back out and she'll try and communicate love or I'll reach back out and I'll try and communicate forgiveness and we'll start all over again. Again, I don't know what to say. I can't <laughs> imagine I can't imagine how difficult that is to I mean, it is, to, to, it is to, such a reflection of God, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like, oh look at me, I'm a reflection of God, but I I just, as I said that, like, I just said, oh, well, we start all over again. I just thought about, like, how God, like, how I make a this huge mistake and how I have this outburst and I sin. And then I'm like, oh, God, can you just please forgive me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I love you. Mm-hmm. And then we just start all over again. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. Before we go, though, and I didn't warn you ahead of time, so you might have to think quick on your feet. There are two questions I ask all my guests. Oh. The first one is, because it's called Retreat House Podcast, how do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does that look like for you? Oh, maybe, is it yoga? I wouldn't say it's yoga because I teach. Mm. <laughs> so I always have to leave. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love working out, but I would definitely say that I would say my retreat, I feel like I have... I think retreats change in different seasons. Mm -hmm. So as a mom right now in this busy time of life where mornings are not as pretty as I would like them to be, you know, (laughs) with my baby, (laughs) I try to read my Bible and I'm reading a book called Defined by the Kendrick brothers, Mm -hmm. the brothers that make the Jesus movies. You know what I'm talking about? And that has been my retreat as of lately, but I'd say my retreat just changes. Um, my, sometimes my retreat, I'm, I'm an extrovert, like a million times a million, um, an extrovert. And I love being with people. Sometimes my retreat is like this is Mm -hmm. sitting with you and seeing God reveal himself in this conversation. And then sometimes my retreat is asking Jacob to take the baby and let me be alone for an hour as I bake and listen to worship music Mm -hmm. and a podcast by the pair, you know, Jackie Hill Perry and her husband. Mm -hmm. It just changes. It it really does change in the season. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then my other question is, if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about yourself, what would that be? Oh my God. I love that question. That is such a good question, (laughs) Angela. That is such a cute question. Um, I feel like it levels the playing field. You know, we all have freak flags. Like we all need to just fly them a little more. Yes. <laughs> right. I had to think about that one. Let me think. Okay. Very few people know this. I'm about to tell you, let you in on a little secret here. Um, 
when it's just me and my husband, I like to burst into these like weird accents Mm -hmm. and characters. I don't even know if I'm really on point, Mm -hmm. but in my head I am. (laughs) And I think it's a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I used to, when I was in college, we would try to do Irish accents and we would end up with a Minnesota accent, like a thick Minnesota. And I thought, oh, I didn't realize that there there are some parts of an Irish accent and a Minnesota accent that are a little similar. And um, I find myself doing that too. Like I'll do an Australian Australian accent. Start in so we watched um, on Netflix. My husband and I were watching this Australian. Oh, Instant Hotel. That's what it was, and it's mm-hmm. Australian. Mm-hmm. And so that whole week, I talked in an Australian accent. And sometimes when I would talk in an Australian ac- accent, I would turn into a, it would turn to a Minnesota accent. <laughs> I think it's just so adaptable. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your story. And I hope writing your memoir goes well. That can, yeah, writing writing is a craft and it's a hard it's a hard thing. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing with me all that you you did about your life. And thank you for all your encouragement. It was really encouraging. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find the podcast at at Retreat House Podcast. And you can find me at at Angela Smith MN. Thank you again for joining us and we will see you next week.